the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Dennis Prager here. Thanks for listening to the Daily Dennis Prager Podcast. To hear the entire three hours of my radio show, commercial-free, every single day, become a member of PragerTopia. You'll also get access to 15 years' worth of archives, as well as the Daily Show Prep. Subscribe at PragerTopia.com. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Dennis Prager Show. And today, if you watch uh, Amala at Prager U, you will know why she has such an enormous following. She is a truly remarkable woman, a sort of a wunderkind at uh, Prager U and with so many young people across the country. You will understand why. She has her own podcast. I hope she'll talk about it. You're in good hands with Amala Epunobi. Hi, everybody, and good morning. Welcome to the Dennis Prager Show. I know what you might be thinking. Me and Dennis sound indistinguishable. How would you even know that it's me? But it is me, Amla Fenobi of PragerU. I'm so happy and blessed to be with you today to talk about some very important issues, and hopefully I'm an adequate replacement for Dennis Prager on this day. So I'm sure there are many of you listening right now who have no idea who I am, and that is totally fine. So I figured we would start off our first segment for the hour giving you my story, because storytelling is something that I think we need to get a little bit better at on our side. The left and the Progressives happen to be really good with creative storytelling, even if it has nothing to do with actual reality. So let me tell you a little bit about my background. So for those of you who don't know me, I grew up in a very small, rural, conservative, mostly white town in central Florida. And I was raised by a white mom. I happen to be biracial. Now, race is not super important to me, but it becomes important in my story because I was taught a lot of things as a child that distorted my reality. So my mother currently works for the political left. She is a fundraiser and developer for that side of things. So you can imagine how proud she is to know that I'm hosting the Dennis Prager show right now today. Uh, she's, she's cheering me on from home right now. And I grew up with her. She's a single mother of three. I've got a younger sister and an older brother. And from a really young age, I was invested in politics. My first political memory was actually in 2008. I was eight years old at the time. I know I just aged myself and I am a child <laughs> talking to you today. But on that particular day, I was very excited because my mother told me I got to stay up past 930 in 2008. Why is that? Because she wanted me to see the election results. So I sat in front of the television with her, my sister and my brother, and we watched as the votes came in. And I nearly dozed off before we got the announcement that Barack Obama was the president of the United States. And my mom gathered us all together and she started crying in front of the television. And at eight years old, I'm looking at my mom and thinking, why is this woman crying? <laughs> she has been talking about wanting Obama to be the president for a long 
long time now. In fact, she even worked for an organization that was door knocking and talking about voting for President Obama. So there I was, eight years old, and there my mom was crying in front of the television. And she said something really important to me and really shaping to me on that day. She said, Amala, our country just elected the first black president of the United States. And she was crying because she said, America, I never thought such a racist country could elect a black president. And in that moment, at eight years old, I, I knew two things. One, that it's very important that I'm, I'm black and living in America. And two, that a lot of people view that as a bad thing. And that was really my introduction to American politics. And as you can imagine, learning that sort of narrative from a really young age, I was an angry individual. I was born biracial in America. I couldn't help that. And for some reason, that was wrong. And other people viewed it that way. And a lot of people will sort of hear the things that my mother taught me at a young age, that there was going to be barriers placed in front of my success because of the way that I was born, that patriarchy and systemic racism and were always factors that I had to take into account in my life. And they'll get pretty angry that my mother would teach me things like that. But in the long run, I really don't blame her for the ideology that she passed down to me. She truly thought she was doing something compassionate, and she still to this day is, is doing the work that she dedicated her life to back when I was eight years old. So as I said before, I was an angry person. Uh, anyone would be if they learned that. So throughout middle school and high school, I was an activist. I was the person who was making political speeches in my speech class when nobody wanted to hear a thing that I had to say. I was picking fights with the conservative students, which were everywhere in the area that I was living in. And I was just constantly running my mouth. It's something that I'm still good at to this day. <laughs> and luckily, I'm using it for the right side now, I believe. And when the Parkland shooting happened in Florida. I was directly affected by it. You know, it wasn't very far from where I was living. I had heard about gun control and, and talked about common sense gun control in my speeches in school, and I was galvanizing students behind my own ideology. So I got asked to do a speech at the March for Our Lives, which most of you know is a movement that is very anti-Second Amendment, is pushing for highly regulated gun control. And I made a speech about how racist this country is, how racist police officers are, and how it is so likely that as a black person in America that you could lose your life at the end of a gun. In that time, I didn't mention anything about black-on-black -black crime. I talked about the police. I talked about white nationalists. And the crowd went wild. I'm talking tens of thousands of people watching me speak about something I knew nothing about. But I knew the talking points, and I was confident enough to get on that stage and say something. And when I graduated high school, I thought, let's not go into higher education. You know, I think I need to be an activist because nothing's going to happen if we don't create the change ourselves. Dave Rubin has a fantastic quote where he says, on the left, we want to change the world. We want to transform the society. And conservatives want to understand the world. They want to understand the society. So at that age... 17 at the time, all I wanted to do was control the world and change it. So I asked my mom, hey, can I get a job working at your organization? And she said, let me go ask a few of the higher ups and 
what would you have it? I became a young activist. I was actually hired as a youth organizer, which meant that I was traveling around to different middle schools and high schools and teaching people about their own oppression, just like it had been done to me. And I was creating all these other young activists who were getting involved in the work that we're doing. And we were working on every single leftist campaign you can think of. The fight for 15, the fight for women's reproductive rights, talking about immigration and open borders and how anybody should be able to be wherever they want to be at any given time. So if you're looking at a lot of the issues in America that we're facing right now, I contributed to them. So we've got some work to do and you're welcome. (laughs) So I worked for that organization for about a year and I had many moments that led to my ideology and that sort of dogma disintegrating. It wasn't one light bulb moment, but I'll tell you a quick story. When you're working at a leftist organization, we have meetings just like any other organization, but our meetings start a little differently. We do something called community agreements, and community agreements are when you write out rules for how the meetings are going to proceed. Things like say your pronouns before you introduce yourself. Let the most oppressed people in the room speak first. You would think that language alone would be annoying enough to make me leave the organization, but it wasn't enough. (laughs) And one day, uh, a fellow employee got up and started writing these community agreements on the board. And she said, and to all the white people in the room, maybe don't speak at all during this meeting. You've had the stage for long enough, and this is not your place anymore. And I looked around this room, my head on a swivel, and I saw... All of my coworkers agreeing with this, smiling, nodding their heads. And I thought, wait a second, I might be in the wrong room here. And I went to this organization and heard all this racist rhetoric towards white people and then went home to my white family that had taken care of me my entire life. And I just couldn't hold the two ideas in my brain at the same time. So I went to the VP of the organization and I spoke to him and said, you know, I I don't understand We claim to be the tolerant side, but I'm hearing all this racism behind the walls of this organization. And he said, you simply don't know how oppressed you are. That was his answer to me. You simply don't know how oppressed you are. It's not my job to teach you. And it's not my fault that you are not as angry as you should be. And that was the worst thing he could have said because within a matter of months, I was gone. I had left that organization. And guess what? I had all these unanswered questions. So I went to the internet and what did I find? I found good old Dennis Prager. <laughs> and alongside Dennis Prager, I found Tom Soule. I found Larry Elder. I found Dave Rubin. I found all of these people who were willing to sit down and talk to me, albeit through a screen, about why I might be wrong about some of the things that I was thinking, why I might not be as oppressed as I thought I was. And I didn't welcome that with open arms at first. I had gone to the internet to reinforce what I believed. I did not want to hear a dissident opinion. I certainly did not want to hear from a conservative. And I heard them and it broke through everything that I had ever thought, everything that I had ever believed. And here we are. Now I'm hosting the Dennis Prager show. And Dennis, every time I get the chance, I tell him how important he is to me, how much he's changed my life. And I imagine that's something that he's done for so many young people in this country. And now I'm 22 years old. I'm here hosting the show today. And I I am just humbled (laughs) by everything that I get to do. And there are so many other young people out there like me, Millions and millions. And the work that we're doing at PragerU is what's helping them break through the chains of their own ideology. So if you guys ever get the chance, please go to PragerU.com, check out some of our videos. And if you want to support us, go to PragerU.com slash donate because our videos are having a real impact. We'll be right back. 
Rising interest rates, stock volatility, out-of-control inflation. People are concerned about what the future holds financially. This is Dennis Prager for AmFed Coin and Bullion. There's no better time than the present to move a portion of your IRA into precious metals. Gold and silver IRAs are more popular than ever, and dealers are advertising heavily for your business. You should know there's a right and a wrong way to set up your precious metals IRA. Mistakes could cost you hundreds of thousands of dollars in IRS fines. Nick Grovich. Man, I completely trust. Owner of AmFed Coin and Bullion has agreed to send you a concise report about how to set up your IRA and how to get the best bang for your buck. Nick and his team will be happy to help you set up your precious metals IRA or review your current account. Call AmFed Coin and Bullion 800-221-7694 for your free IRA report and all your precious metals needs. AmericanFederal.com. That's AmericanFederal.com. And we're back. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. I'm your sit-in host, Amla Epinobi from PragerU. And if you'd like to check out any of my other content, you can go to YouTube, type in Amala Epinobi. I know that's a mouthful. If you can't do that, type in Unapologetic Live. That's the name of my show, my podcast that you can check out on all podcast apps. I, I want to talk about something in particular, a New York Times article that was recently put out titled Age 79. Biden is testing the boundaries of age and the presidency. Much like with the COVID narrative, everything that we say becomes fact in about two years. So everything we're saying now on the right about any given subject matter, in about two years, you can be rest assured that the political left will be using those as talking points and not crediting us or taking accountability for everything that they've said that goes against uh actual reality. So I want to get into this article uh, because apparently now the New York Times is becoming aware of Biden's age. It might be through all the gaffes that he's having on television, might be from falling off his bicycle. And I in no way want to cheer this on gleefully as the article writes that we conservatives do. But let's read from this and see what we have to say. Just a year and a half into his first term, Mr. Biden is already more than a year older than Ronald Reagan was at the end of two terms. If he mounts another campaign in 2024, Mr. Biden would be asking the country to elect a leader who would be 86 at the end of his tenure, testing the boundaries of age and the presidency. What a revelation. Again, something that we've been saying this entire time. Not only is Biden uh, one of the oldest presidents we've ever seen, but he's been in government for nearly 50 years now. 50 years. And this is not something that's specific to him. We can look at a lot of other officials who are definitely testing the boundaries of age and who have been in government, in my opinion, for way too long. Another New York Times article, an opinion piece on Biden's age, labeled our government as a gerontocracy. And that's not me as some some young person coming at you and saying, you know, these old geezers are sitting and making all of these decisions. People agree with me. About 60% of Americans aged 65 and older say that Biden is too old to be sitting in the seat that he's sitting in now and that he certainly should not be running for another term. And I doubt he will. 
and the left seems to be turning on him at this moment, talking about his age, talking about how he's unfit to serve as the president of the United States, because I think now they're realizing that they cannot rely on him for another term. And with the state of the country right now, they shouldn't want to rely on him for another term. Let's read some more here. Likewise, Mr. Biden has given just 38 interviews, far fewer than Mr. Trump at 116, Mr. Obama at 198, the younger Mr. Bush at 71, Mr. Clinton at 75, and the older Bush at 86. So he's doing far less than all of his predecessors in in these less recent years. It's unbelievable to me that this is not something that we could have acknowledged when he was running. Instead, the left had to run cover on this. They had to cover up the gaffes. They had to cover his running in the most positive light possible. And still, they managed to find specialists who are willing to back up the narrative that we were hearing two years ago. Here's a specialist that is cited in the New York Times article. Right now, there's no evidence that the age of Biden should matter one ounce, end quote, says uh, SJ, a longevity specialist at the University of Illinois, Chicago, who studied the candidate's age in 2020. Quote, if people don't like his policies, they don't like what he says, that's fine. They can vote for someone else. But it's got nothing to do with how old he is. End quote. Can you believe that, ladies and gentlemen? I mean, you would have to be blind to not be able to tell that this man is too old to be the president. And even saying that, that's an insult to the blind because they should be able to tell when they hear him on the television. I don't have a teleprompter in front of me, but if I did, I would read the script that I was given and maybe not give the directives that are written on the teleprompter. And Biden can't manage to do that. And we have a vice president, Kamala Harris, and she can't seem to run cover on him either. She's just as bad on the television, and she doesn't get to blame it on her age. So I'm interested to see what's happening here. Because the New York Times has supported Biden this entire time. The entire time, virtually, that he's been in government. And now they're starting to change their tune. Why do you think that is? Do you think that it's because they don't think he's going to make it to another term? Do you think maybe they're unsatisfied with the state of our country, with the rates of inflation, with the rates of crime, with the constant battling back and forth about things like race and gender, with the teaching of gender theory and critical race theory in schools, with the infiltration of leftist dogma and ideology into nearly every single place of influence in this country. We are in for a world of hurt right now if we're not already experiencing hurt. And I have trouble even blaming President Biden himself for what we're experiencing right now because he doesn't even seem to know where he is at any given time. And it begs the question, who is running the country? Who is running the country? And it's not a question that I can answer. I have no idea. Is it his administration at large? Is it Kamala Harris? Is it Jill Biden, Dr. Jill Biden, as she likes to be called? Who is running the game here? Because certainly Biden is not fit to do so. He's honestly a a puppet at this point. And that is sad to say that they are simply propping him up and giving him the speech that he's supposed to give. And he's not even being able to do that correctly. And now the left is changing their tune. 
They can't rely on him anymore. They can't rely on, on him being able to fix any of the problems that we're facing right now. And us as American citizens, what do we get told? We get told to lower our expectations. What was his quote about the baby formula shortage? Well, I can't read minds. How could I have possibly known that this was going to happen? And to that I say, you could have known by listening to the American people. You could have known by doing more press conferences and talking to the journalists who are trying to tell you the issues that the American people are facing. You could have known by picking up a newspaper. But if he's incapable of doing that, then what do we say? And how are we to find out who's actually running this country? That's the important part. That's the question that needs to be answered right now. And it's not being answered. And it's very, very unfortunate that we have to sit in the throes of this presidency. All because they couldn't deal with what? Some mean tweets. (laughs) That seems to be the problem that we're facing here. Some mean tweets on Twitter. And he's not even on Twitter anymore. So while they're running cover for Biden, I guess we're just going to have to sit here and deal with all of the problems that are amassing. But I have a feeling that when these midterm elections come around, our voices are going to be heard. We are going to be flipping the script on them, and they're not going to be able to recover from this. But it does rely on all of you getting out there, all of you speaking your mind, even though there is no immediate incentive to do so, even though you could be canceled, even though you could be persecuted for the things that you believe, you've got to get out there. And that's the message that we are pushing over at PragerU. You can check out more of what we have to say by going to PragerU.com. We have plenty of videos to get you educated on this and my podcast on Apologetic Live. Towels just don't seem to dry you anymore. They feel soft and lotiony in the store, but you get them home and they don't absorb. Well, Mike Lindell at My Pillow found that out around 2006, and towels changed forever. He found the best towel company right here in the USA. They have proprietary technology to create towels that feel soft but actually work, and that happens to be true. I use them. They are all made with USA cotton, and they come with the MyPillow 60-day money-back guarantee. Six-piece set, two bath, two hand towels, two washcloths. Regularly $109.99, now $39.99. Just go to MyPillow.com and click on the new radio listener specials and get deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including the towels, by entering the promo code Prager or call 800-761-6302 for these great radio specials. MyPillow.com, promo code Prager. Hi, everybody, and welcome back. I'm your sit-in host, Amla Benobi from PragerU, and we are going to be taking calls this segment. You can call in to 1-8-Prager-776. That's 1-8-Prager-776. So we're going to be taking a call here. Let's see. Let's do Michael from Culver City, California. Hi, Michael. How you doing? Hi. Good morning. How's everybody? Good morning to my my conservative brothers and, and <laughs> sisters in the Christian world. Fantastic. You know, it's 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 beyond pathetic that we have a in this great nation that the people would le- elect a feeble old fool in Joe Biden. I'm ashamed to call him my president because mm. he's not. Along with the laughing hyena, Kamala Harris, which is <laughs> she's beyond pathetic because she can only answer anything with a laugh. But what's comical about the whole thing, and like our little friend, the bartender AOC, 
you know, they want all this green, 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 electric cars, electric this, electric that. These people don't realize that you got to use fossil fuels. Let's try the Colorado River Hoover Dam that have all these transmissions that are all have fossil fuels for lubricants and bearings and greases and all that. Mm-hmm. So that they to produce all the electric electricity to to make these cars go. Well, batteries don't produce energy, they store it. So let's talk about the batteries and the green people. They're tearing up northern Nevada in a beautiful section of the country, mining all this uh, minerals to make these lithium batteries, sending them to China. China sells them back to the stupid Americans who wants the green battery car. And then after five years, they dig a big pit in Wyoming to bury all these batteries. It, it, it just sounds so stupid. Stupid and idiotic. How much? How much more foolish can you be? I'm agreeing well, with you, yeah. Michael. Thank you. Thank you so much for calling. I I've looked into some of this green energy. I will tell you, it's not on my my major priority list as far as the issues that I talk about. But there are some things that are fundamentally wrong with this movement. Am I all for protecting the earth, protecting the environment? Absolutely. And I think you'd be hard pressed to find a person who doesn't agree with with that statement there. But the manner that they are going about this issue is bringing about a lot of questions for me. Something that has really piqued my interest is the the Dutch farming crisis that is happening right now in the Netherlands. I don't know if all of you are up on this right now, but they're telling the farmers due to nitrogen and ammonia, we have to cut back on your livestock. We have to cut back on your livelihoods. And essentially what they're doing is putting these farmers out of business. So now over 40,000 farmers are taking to the streets of the Netherlands and saying, no way, this is my livelihood. And you don't get to step on it in the name of your green agenda. And that seems to be what they're doing all across the world. Now, I'm a little suspicious of a little globalist agenda that is going on behind that. And I'm wondering who's going to be buying up the farmland from these Dutch farmers. When you have people like Bill Gates who are advocating for campaigns like this, he owns more farmland than anybody else in the world. So what are we doing there? What are we working towards? And we know that the green energy solutions and alternatives that they're pushing for are not the most reliable, although they're called reliable sources. Look at the Texas freeze that Texas experienced. What created that? Those energy sources that they're going for, solar and wind are not the most reliable. I'm all for expanding on them. I'm all for allowing people to do that if that's what they want to do. But as far as energy, we need to find something that works. And we were energy independent not too long ago. And now look at us. We're experiencing a major problem and really all due to what this administration is doing. Now, as I said before, climate change and and green energy is not really at the top of my list on these issues. But if you'd like to get educated on them, we have plenty of five minute videos at PragerU.com that you can go in and check out. And it's a subject matter that I'm going to be getting into on my show, Unapologetic Live. You can check that out as well. And if you want to support us with your money, please go to PragerU.com slash donate. It helps us create all the content that is changing minds. We'll be back. The Dennis Prager Show. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Dennis Prager Show. And today, if you watch uh, Amala at Prager U, you will know why she has such an enormous following. She is a truly remarkable woman, a sort of a 
wunderkind at uh, PragerU and with so many young people across the country. You will understand why. She has her own podcast. I hope she'll talk about it. You're in good hands with Amala Epunobi. Good morning and good afternoon, everybody. I'm your sit-in host, Amla Epunobi, for the Dennis Prager Show. I want to talk about an issue that is really near and dear to my heart this morning because I feel as though it's going to be one of the most pressing issues for my generation. I am Gen Z 22, uh, if I want to age myself on today's program. But I, I wanted to read what Planned Parenthood is going to be up to here. Here's the headline of this article. Planned Parenthood offering transgender hormone therapy to minors across the country. I guess maybe in the wake of Roe versus Wade being overturned, they felt, oh, well, we won't be doing that many abortions. Maybe we should get into a different business. And the business they've chosen is hormone therapy for transgender or gender dysphoric minors. The article reads, Planned Parenthood, the nation's leading provider of abortions, is now giving puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones to minors in states all across the country with parental consent. Oh, well, thank goodness they're asking for parental consent on that one. All the way from California to Florida and even up the coast to Massachusetts, Planned Parenthood is giving children as young as 16 with gender-affirming hormone services. And they can refer patients, if you'd like, to another provider where you can get cross-sex hormones if you are not within the age range that they deem to be appropriate for this. I would love to say that I could not believe that I read this article, that I could not believe that Planned Parenthood would be engaging in a service or a procedure like this. But this is normal now. This is normalcy to say that young people in this country below the age of 18 are able to decide what their gender is and when they do, they can go through medical transition in this country. It is a horrendous, horrendous disservice to these young people. It is a disservice to this country. And I am just devastated to hear that this is happening and the ramifications of this are going to be massive. I cannot stress that enough. So let's talk about this idea because it's becoming a a pervasive narrative. Even Fox News has covered transgender minors, in fact, highlighted a, a supposedly conservative family with a transgender child that they have allowed to transition, saying that they are just being true to who they are. What child knows exactly who they are? When I was a kid, I wanted to be a princess then an astronaut, then a cartoon character. And if I had gone to my mom and told her those things, even my very progressive mother would have looked at me and said, well, we can play pretend for that. We can play a game of princess and astronaut, but I don't think I'm going to go sign you up to work for NASA. And now we're having little children who don't even really understand the concept of gender. These children are being indoctrinated to thinking that they're boys who are now girls or girls who are now boys. And a lot of people will say, well, let's just allow for a social transition and we'll talk about medical transition down the line. These ideas are harmful to children. I've spent a very long time looking into these issues. And I will say that this phenomenon of transgenderism and gender dysphoria is not one that has been widely studied. I believe the longest study about transgender individuals is one out of Sweden that has only lasted over the span of 30 years. 30 years they've studied this. Now, transgenderism is, of course, growing specifically in the United States of America. I mean, there are young people all across the spectrum, all in different states, who are now identifying as gender dysphoric or saying that they are non-binary and do not know what gender they are. 
This is a new phenomenon. And instead of treating it like a new phenomenon, treating it with skepticism, treading lightly with it, we are moving to the most radical place that we can go to. And that is medical transition. So for those of you who are unaware of what this entails, let's talk about a minor. Let's say you have an eight-year-old who has now expressed gender dysphoria. Where they got the idea from, I don't know. Maybe it's in schools because they're teaching gender theory right now. Maybe it's from mommy and daddy who think they're being progressive by teaching their eight-year-old about this. But your eight-year-old comes to you and expresses that they are feeling a certain amount of discomfort with the sex that they were born as. Now you take them to a medical physician, and that medical physician, within a matter of months now, can put your child on puberty blockers that will block puberty from happening to your child. Now, the progressive left will tell you that this has no long-term ramifications, that is completely reversible, but we have not done enough studying of this to know that. Your child, after having their puberty blocked, will be put on cross-sex hormones, a complete and utter disconnection from the sex and the biology that they were born with. And when they start developing from a boy into a girl, then we can talk about surgeries. Then we can talk about implants and for for women, phalloplasties, which create the fake genitalia. It's just unbelievable to me that we are talking about doing this to minors. I, I may be outside of what your opinion is on this, but if you are an adult and that's something that you want to do and that's how you want to present yourself and you want to go to the doctor and go through medical transitioning, by all means, you're an adult. Do that. But to subject a child to something that is irreversible, irreversible damage done to their body where they can't even understand the decision that they're making is heinous. It is a horrible thing to do. And I know that shame is, is a powerful tool, probably for all the wrong reasons. But parents should truly feel a little bit of shame for doing this. I know that you think you're doing the compassionate thing. I know that you think you're doing what's right. But truly lay out all of the issues that you could be creating for your child. And while... We are highlighting the stories of transgender people, and even Fox News is going as far as to do that. The people who choose to detransition, meaning reversing the process or at least attempting to go back to a life of normalcy that looks more like the sex that they were born with, those people are trying to tell their stories. They are trying to warn other young people about what this can create, the issues that you will face for the rest of your life. And people aren't listening. A massive LGBTQ organization by the name of GLAAD, G-L-A-A-D, if you guys like to look it up, is a huge advocate for uh, allowing transgender minors to transition and affirming their gender. GLAAD has gone as far as to say that we shouldn't highlight the stories of detransitioners. We shouldn't allow them to speak because they are not true representations of gender dysphoria. But they are. They are. They are people who were convinced by a narrative, convinced by others on the internet, that there was some sort of incongruence with the sex that they were born as, and they go down this route in order to feel comfort in themselves, in order to find people who accept themselves. And to that I say, let's think about this gender confusion thing for a second. Because the left will tell you there is no such thing as gender roles, right? Women don't have to love pink. They don't have to be nurturing. They don't have to be compassionate. Men don't have to be strong. They don't have to be assertive. They don't have to be aggressive. But when we adopt transgender ideology, what do men and women do? A man who feels gender dysphoria goes and takes on all of these gender role characteristics of being a woman. They go and get the breast implants. They go and change their genitalia. They get put on hormones to change their voices. They start wearing dresses. That sounds a lot like gender roles to me. And these kids that we're seeing 
going through this process of medical transition. Well, the mom says, well, my boy loved playing with dolls or he loved wearing dresses. So I thought there might have been some incongruence uh, between his gender and his sex. But wait a second, mom. I didn't think gender roles existed. I thought boys could love pink. I thought boys could love dolls. I thought boys could love princesses. But now we're saying when a boy does that, they are a girl. So which one is it? And what your child is going to face for the rest of their life because of this is, is a multitude of issues. These are surgeries that are still being perfected. This is body mutilation that you will have for the rest of your life and that you cannot fix. These are hormone changes that you will have for the rest of your life that you cannot fix. And the rate of mental illness and suicide, suicidal ideation among this particular demographic in our society is above any other. And this is one of the smallest demographics in our society. Transgender identifying individuals, gender dysphoric individuals have higher rates of suicidal ideation than anybody else in this country. And the study out of Sweden, the one that I referenced earlier, that happened over the span of 30 years, when they did this study, what did they find? They found that medical transitioning and even social transitioning did not fix the issue. The suicidal ideation rates, the attempted suicides, were the same. So clearly our course of treatment on this particular diagnosis is not the right one. But why are they silencing people who are saying that? Why are they not allowing us to share that with other people? Why are they allowing kids to go down this path? They can't have your best interest at heart. And if they do and they feign ignorance, that's a problem too. Because you should want to be well-versed on the stuff that you are advocating for that is changing people's lives forever. And we have plenty of videos about this subject matter on PragerU.com. If you'd love to get educated on it, you can also check out my podcast, Unapologetic Live, where we talk about these things, these studies, these people in depth. And if you'd like to support the work that we're doing so that we can keep doing so, you can go to PragerU.com slash donate. I'll be back in the next segment. The Dennis Prager Show. Good. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-702-5400. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-702-5400. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-702-5400. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Good morning and afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Is it offensive to say ladies and gentlemen now? I think it just might be. I'm your sit-in host, Amla Epinobi, for the Dennis Prager Show. You know me from PragerU, and if you don't know me, now you do. Welcome, welcome. I wanted to talk about a developing news story surrounding a young woman by the name of Brittany Griner. You probably know her from the WNBA, although I don't know if anybody watches the WNBA. (laughs) Just jokes, just jokes. These are fantastic women. But Brittany Griner was actually detained while in 
in Russia on February 17th for allegedly carrying a marijuana concentrate in her luggage. Now, I was familiar with Brittany Griner, not through her work with the WNBA, but because she was dedicated to protesting America, mainly in the name of Black Lives Matter. Brittany Griner said that she would be protesting during the national anthem all season for the WNBA. We see this in the form of kneeling during the national anthem, not pledging to the flag, not wanting to show any allegiance or pride for one's country. And many WNBA players uh, followed suit with her. We saw the NBA also participate. We saw football participate. Virtually every sport was starting to be politicized and taking a stance uh, in support of Black Lives Matter. Of course, we got many athletes who decided to step outside of that idea Joshua, uh, uh, Jonathan Isaac from the Orlando Magic was one of the many, or should I say few, really, who decided to stand during the national anthem and not protest this country. But Brittany Griner has fallen into misfortune. She was in Russia. She got detained at an airport for apparently having these marijuana cartridges in her suitcase and is, has now been detained there for over 100 days And suddenly, America is looking real good to Brittany Griner, as you might imagine. When you go to another country and experience what happens there, oftentimes where your freedoms are taken away or the laws don't exactly align with those here in the United States, or you don't have the same rights and privileges that you get to exercise in the United States, the tune starts to change a little bit. And I think that with young people in particular, a lot of the disdain that they feel for this country is just by virtue of not being educated about the unique opportunities, rights, and privileges that they have living here. It's really easy while being in America to stand up and say, I hate this country, a change needs to be made, and I'm going to be the one to make it, and I'm oppressed, and I'm a victim. But when you fall into a situation of misfortune like Brittany Griner has in Russia, things look different. Now, I will talk about that, but I also want to highlight somebody who's come in with a response to this ever-changing story, and that is LeBron James. You know him for being quite a protester of the United States of America as well. He's made a splash with the Black Lives Matter movement in in many horrible ways, and he is no stranger to criticizing this country. Here's what he had to say about Brittany Griner and her situation. I don't know if, how many of them follow the Brittany Griner situation. Has everybody followed that? No. So there's a, a woman named Brittany Griner who's an amazing basketball player, amazing person. She was in Russia playing. The war broke out. On her way back, flying home, they said she had some amount of hash, which was illegal in Russia. And they, she is in Russia. We don't really know where. She's been there. Over 100. It had got to be over, over 110 like days. days yeah, or something yeah. like that. It's pretty that was going on. The WNBA season has started, and she still... She still has not come back. She still hasn't come back. She's a superstar. Super I mean, we're star. talking about... We're talking about... This is the top of the yeah. top. This, is, this the top. is LeBron of the WNBA. You, being you, LeBron yeah. James, have you thought of, like, what... Like, if it was you, you travel to Europe, you do these things, like, have you put yourself there in terms of, like, man, what she must be going through or what that experience I, must I, be like? I'm, I'm, I was trying to imagine it, and it's hard for me, too, to even put myself into what she's going through. Like, she's such a, a great human being, a great person. Uh, obviously, I've been in her presence a few times, and, you know, you always feel like, you know, if you're from a certain place, you always feel like, like they got your back. And, and in a sense, like, now, how could she feel like America has her back? Like, 
I would be feeling like, do I even want to go back to America if I'm, I've been gone over 130 days? And, and I felt like it's been zero effort. Zero effort, LeBron James says. And why would you even want to come back to America? This amazes me. But it is much like my story. As I told you guys in, in the first hour, and for those of you who are just tuning in, I grew up in a really rural, conservative, Christian, white area. In, in my home state of Florida. And although I, I lived there, I was extremely successful. I did well in school. I was valedictorian. I got a job straight out of high school that was well-paying. I was still convinced by the narrative of systemic racism. I hadn't experienced an ounce of it, but I would have told you that this country was pitted against me. The very same can be said for a person like LeBron James. Look at this man. Look at his career. Look at his upbringing and what he's managed to do in his lifetime. I believe he might even be a billionaire now. All because of capitalism, all because of the support that America has given him. He has been able to, apparently, if there's systemic racism, he's jumped right over that boundary, leaps and bounds over that boundary, and is now a very successful black man, one of the most successful black men in America. And he still has the audacity and the gall to say, well, if I was Brittany Griner, I would maybe consider not even coming to America. Why would you want to be back here? And he will probably never be in a situation like she is right now, but I think it's giving her a little bit of perspective. Here's an article out of CBS Sports, and I want to read part of it, uh, of Griner's response to what has happened to her in a letter that she's written to the current administration. On July 4th, Griner sent a letter to the White House appealing for her freedom directly to President Joe Biden. Griner wrote that she missed her wife, family, and teammates, adding she spent the 4th of July holiday thinking about the meaning of freedom. Quote, it hurts thinking about how I usually celebrate this day because freedom means something completely different to me this year. End quote. Freedom means something completely different to me this year. And it's, it's horrible that it takes a situation like this, being detained in a foreign country, to realize everything that your country has to offer you and things that are specific to America. And I tell people that hate this country, you know, you can have qualms with America. You can have qualms with its systems and institutions. But this country gives you something that no other country provides. And when you look at the protests that are brought about in communist-run states, socialist-run states, China under the Chinese Communist Party, what are people talking about? They're talking about their, their rights to religion, their right to assemble, their right to freedom of speech. Where do you think they get those ideas from? Those ideas are distinct to America. We're the first country ever created, not on race, religion, or a certain creed, but on a set of ideals that were meant to be upheld. When the protests were breaking out in Cuba, I watched as people took to the streets, not waving Cuban flags, not Cuban flags waving American flags because those are the ideas that they wanted set forth in their country. And I think Brittany Griner has now come to that conclusion. She realized how valuable freedom is, and she probably learned that before going to another country, she should look into the laws of that specific country. Now, would I love if our administration came to her aid, even though I disagree with her in many ways, shapes, and forms? Yes, by all means, try to help her. I don't want her detained in Russia for simply having marijuana cartridges in her suitcase. But I hope she comes back having learned a lesson. And if you want to learn more about American history, American ideals, you can go to PragerU.com and check out our videos. Dennis has done many a five-minute video on what makes America great and what is specific to America. So again, check those out by going to PragerU.com. We'll be back in the next segment. The Dennis Prager Show. 
Hello, everybody. I'm your guest host for the day, Amla Epinobi, and we're going to be taking some calls right now. If you'd like to call in, call 1-8-Prager-776. That's 1-8-Prager-776. We're going to take it over to James in Clearwater, Florida. Hello, James. How you doing? I'm doing okay. Appreciate the time. Of course. Uh, quick point <laughs> Quick point here, um, as far as the biology and after effects of it, uh, the people undergoing this are basically made sterile. I want to, that hasn't been mentioned yet. Mm-hmm. And uh, it kills any chance of family on their part. The other thing is that um, I have a daughter who does campus ministry. Uh, she's a habit of none there in the theater system, the three universities here. And uh, she's dealing with this a lot, among other things, don't get me wrong. Sure. Uh, and, and the thing is that she's finding that these people are looking for happiness. Yes. And they go, well, if I do this, I'll be okay, I'll be happy. And the problem is that it doesn't do anything except a lot of times make things worse. Mm-hmm. And that's where the suicides come in, and that's why you have it, because they go through all that. And it doesn't solve the problem of dysphoria to begin with. Yes, James, you are absolutely right. Thank you so much for calling and making that point. So what James is referencing is that Planned Parenthood story that I talked about earlier. Planned Parenthood is now offering hormone therapy to minors. This is in the name of the transgender movement, gender dysphoria, and treatment for uh, an illness or an affliction like that. And he's right. So these kids going through these medical procedures, once they get to the sex reassignment surgery and they're on the cross-sex hormones, you have rendered them sterile. That means your little girl is not going to be able to have babies. Your little boy is not going to be able to create children. So these are things that we truly have to think about. And I, I am, am, it's sad to say that we are treating these things quite frivolously. I've heard from teenagers who have gone in and expressed a certain amount of discomfort with their, their gender or their sex and have been put on hormones and have started talking about surgeries no more than two months later. That is a very quick decision to make that will affect you for the rest of your life. And James, your, your daughter is absolutely right there. They are looking for happiness. And I feel the utmost sympathy for people who are going through this. I can't imagine the amount of inner turmoil one must feel to go through a process like this that is tantamount to mutilation with their bodies. I can't imagine how how horrible you must feel and how uncomfortable you must feel on any given day to put yourself through that. And even worse, to go through that entire situation and find out at the end of it that that wasn't the right answer and that you've now done something irreversible. I just imagine that is devastating and heartbreaking. And I understand why somebody would resort to suicide or attempted suicide in in that way. It's highly unfortunate, highly, highly unfortunate. We're going to take another call. This is David in Sacramento, California. We got David on. Hi, David. I'm here. Hey. Hey, I just want to say I really enjoy uh, you filling in. Uh, I, I've watched your, your program. It's You've got a lot of energy. It's a riot. Oh, thank you. Um, I, I just yeah, I wanted to say um, I was thinking about your mom and the story you opened up with. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to encourage you, you know, that, that – or. You know, I'm sure she's probably listening, but you know, it, it, I think I think there's a almost a religious element to leftism. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the the passion of of it and uh, and the zeal and all that stuff. And and, I, and I'm sure it really probably bums her out. You know, that you're conservative and you know, feeling sure. for Dennis Prager. But I just want to encourage you. I don't know what your relationship's like with her, but just want to encourage you to um, really still 
uh, show shows that honor and and regard and and is you know even more love than than you could probably muster because uh, I know there's even on our side we get angry we see what's going sure. on with the with the young people and we get really angry you know and I, and I understand why people are fired up so right. I just want to encourage you and just let you let you know that tons of us out here uh, adore you and. Appreciate your incredible energy level. Oh, David, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. And I will tell you, my my relationship with my mother is better than it has ever been before. So thank you so much for your call. And, you know, you said something there that a lot of leftism is like religion. Now, I don't happen to be a religious person, uh, which is why I'm a particular, particularly hard opponent for the people who come at me for being conservative. And in a lot of ways, leftism can be quite religious. It has a lot of religiosity to it. In, in some ways, conservatism does too. But I feel as though leftism and wokeism is a religion with more sins than any other. And you don't get to repent. You don't get to come back. They may ask you to apologize, but when you do, you don't get anything for doing so. They don't let you back into the tribe. They don't let you back into the club. And that is why you should never bow down down to this woke mob that wants you to repent for your sins. We'll be back. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Hope you're having a good morning or good afternoon. If you're listening over on the East Coast, I wanted to take a moment to highlight a video that I saw recently of a potential conservative candidate for prime minister in the United Kingdom. Her name is Kemi Badenoch. I hope I pronounced that correctly because she deserves that for what she's done. She did a recent speech talking about one of the pressing issues we're facing here in America as well, critical race theory. For those of you unfamiliar with critical race theory, it's a theory that was brought about in in the 1970s by some names, Derek Bell, Gene Stefanstick, Richard Delgado, Kimberly Crenshaw is one of the current names you'll hear surrounding this, as well as Ibram X. Kendi and Nicole Hannah-Jones. Although they are not critical race theorists, they are massive supporters of the theory itself. And the theory, in essence, states that because America is founded on an idea of systemic racism, that it's baked into our institutions and systems, that all of us should be looking at legislation through a race-critical lens, meaning racism should always be taken into account when we're looking at our our laws and the way our legislation works. Now, it's originally a law theory, and we see it taught in our Ivy League schools and our higher institutions like Harvard and Yale, uh, but it has been distilled down for those of younger ages, K through 12, and then placed and injected into our public school systems. And when you boil that theory down in a way that is digestible to young people, it essentially says that White people in this country are the oppressors and blacks are the oppressed. You'll hear stories from schools where students are being separated into things called affinity groups, which are groups based on nothing more than race, where kids can go and have these, quote, uncomfortable conversations about their privilege or lack thereof. Now, Kemi Badenoch, like I said, this potential new prime minister for the UK on the conservative end of things, said this in reference to critical race theory. Let's hear it. What we are against is the teaching of contested political ideas as if they are accepted facts. We don't do this with communism, we don't do this with socialism, we don't do it with capitalism. And I want to speak about a dangerous trend in race relations that has come far too close to home to my life, and it is the promotion of critical race theory, an ideology that sees my blackness as victimhood and their whiteness as oppression. I want to be absolutely clear, this government stands unequivocally against critical race theory. Some schools have decided to openly support the anti-capitalist Black Lives Matter group, often fully aware that they have a statutory duty to be politically impartial. Black lives do matter, of course they do. 
But we know that the Black Lives Matter movement, capital B-L-M, is political. I know this because at the height of the protest, I have been told of white Black Lives Matter protesters calling, and I'm afraid uh, I apologize for saying this word, calling a black armed police officer guarding Downing Street a pet that is why we do not endorse that movement in, on this side of the House. It is a political movement, and what would be nice would be for members on the opposite side to condemn many of the actions that we see this political movement instead of pretending that it is a completely wholesome uh, anti-racist organization. There is a lot of pernicious stuff that is being pushed, and we stand against that. We do not want to see teachers teaching their white pupils about white privilege and inherited yeah. racial guilt. And let me be clear. Any school which teaches these elements of critical race theory as fact or which promotes partisan political views such as defunding the police without offering a balanced treatment of opposing views is breaking the law. Nothing but truth stated there. What a powerful statement. The only unfortunate thing about this video is that it takes somebody with a darker skin color to, be, to say it and be taken seriously. When our white counterparts come to the table and they say, this isn't right. I don't want to be labeled an oppressor. I haven't done anything. In fact, my ancestors didn't even own slaves. And I certainly don't want black children being convinced that they're victims before they're even at an age to understand what this country is like. When they say it, they're scoffed off. You know, you're a white person. How dare you say anything anyways? You've had control of our history for, for who knows how long. You don't get the space to speak, much like what I heard when I worked at my leftist organization. So it's unfortunate that it takes a face and a skin tone like hers in order to say this and be taken seriously, but I'm glad that she has taken, all, taken this position and taken the stance very strongly that critical race theory should not be taught in schools. In essence, I was taught critical race theory as a child. As young as eight years old, I was told that life was going to be a little bit harder for me in this country because I am black. And what did that do to me? What did that create as far as my lifestyle goes? I wanted to be an activist. In fact, that was the only thing that I wanted to be. And I graduated high school and I became one. For when you are convinced of your victimhood, the only thing you want to do is convince other people and start a fight about it. Because that's what they tell you you need to do. They tell you things won't change unless you galvanize others. They tell you things won't change unless you create a tribe of other victims to, to take over the narrative and to change the way that this country is running. And in a lot of ways, because of that ideology that I was taught, I was robbed of, of true fulfillment, of knowing that I truly did have opportunities in this country. And even when I chased them, I, I believed the, the idea of systemic racism. So I don't know any other stances of Kemi Badenox, but if I had to judge her based solely on this, she would have my vote for the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom. This is powerful, and it's the change that I would like to see in the world, where we move to a race-blind America. They'll tell you now, being colorblind is inherently racist. We need to talk about race. We need to discuss it. But then when you ask about it, you're committing a microaggression against people of color. So which one is it? And for me, it's colorblindness. It's race blind. It's sexuality blind. It's gender blind. I don't care about any of those things. They are so superficial when it comes to the true individual identity of a person. It tells me nothing about your merit. It tells me nothing about your value. It tells me nothing about your character, how you treat other people, what your family's like, what your friends are like, who you are as a distinct and unique individual regardless of your race. It tells me none of that. Yet we as a country, or at least half of this country, has decided that we need to boil down people to simply the color of their skin, and we need to place them in a box. What does that sound like?
To me, that sounds like racism. To me, it sounds like our country worked itself out of slavery, worked itself out of Jim Crow with the civil rights movement and said, we are now legislatively equal and we are moving towards a future of equality only to dig the hole again and put ourselves back in it by segregating people into affinity groups, by saying we need to uplift black-owned businesses, having black categories on your, your streaming services, and I will never subscribe to that. In fact, it's infantilizing. It is infantilizing to hear. It is bigotry of, of low expectations, hard bigotry, not soft bigotry as the quote normally reads. It is hard bigotry. And we stand against that. I stand against that. You can check out more of what I have to say by checking out my podcast, Unapologetic Live, and you'll see my face all over PragerU.com. If you'd like to support us in the work we do, go to PragerU.com slash donate. We'll be back. The Dennis Prager Show. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Dennis Prager Show. And today, if you watch uh, Amala at PragerU, you will know why she has such an enormous following. She is a truly remarkable woman, sort of a wunderkind at uh, PragerU and with so many young people across the country. You will understand why. She has her own podcast. I hope she'll talk about it. You're in good hands with Amala Ebunobi. Hi, guys, and welcome back to the final hour. I hope you've enjoyed your time with me so far because I've certainly enjoyed it. I always love coming on and guest hosting the Dennis Prager Show. And like he said, I do have my own podcast. It's called Unapologetic Live. You can check it out on YouTube, Facebook, Rumble, Getter, anywhere where you go and get your podcast. Today and in this segment, I want to talk about a question that seems to be on the tip of everybody's tongue. And that question is, what is a woman? For the most part, conservatives and classic liberals can give you a straight answer for me. It's an adult human female, you know, with those things like chromosomes that don't seem to change no matter how many cross-sex hormones you take, no matter how many surgeries you undergo, no matter how much dogma we use to convince people that they are confused about their gender. What a woman is, is an adult human female. But we're having trouble answering that question on the progressive left. For those of you who watched the Supreme Court nomination proceedings and that whole trial, basically, with the Senate questioning Katanji Brown-Jackson, when she asked, was asked, what's a woman? She stated that she was not a biologist and therefore could not answer the question. I'm not a chef, therefore I can't turn on the stove. I'm not a vet, therefore I can't tell you what a dog or a cat is. What a wondrous answer to what is a very simple question in my eyes. What is a woman? Now we've seen this happen Again, Senator Josh Hawley was questioning Berkeley, a Berkeley law professor in some Senate proceedings about the current uh, abortion conversation that we're having now that Roe versus Wade has been overturned. And I want you to hear this interaction. Here's the video. Before I do, I just want to clear one thing up. Professor Bridges, you said several times you've used a phrase. I want to make sure I understand what you mean by it. You've referred to people with a capacity for pregnancy. Would that be women? Many women, cis women, have the capacity for pregnancy. Many cis women do not have the capacity for pregnancy. Um, there are also trans men who are capable of pregnancy, as well as non-binary people who are capable of pregnancy. So this isn't really a women's rights issue. It's, uh, it's We can it's recognize that this impacts women while also recognizing that it impacts other groups. Those things are not mutually exclusive, Senator Hawley. Oh, so your view is, is that the core of this, this right then is about what? 
So um, I want to recognize that your line of questioning um, is transphobic, <laughs> um, and it opens up trans people to violence by not recognizing them. Wow, you're saying that I'm opening up people to violence by asking whether or not women are the folks who can have pregnancies? So I'm one, I want to note that one out of five transgender uh, persons have attempted suicide. So I think it's important because of my line of questioning because so we can't talk about it because denying that trans people exist and pretending not to know that they exist. I'm is denying that trans people exist by asking are you? you if you're talking are you? about women are you? having pregnancies. Do you believe that the, uh, men can get pregnant? No, I don't think. Can get <laughs> so you are pregnant. denying that trans people exist. Thank and that leads to violence. Is this how you run your classroom? Are students allowed to question you Absolutely. or are they also treated like this? Where no, no, no. They're, they're, told that to they're a- opening up people to oh, violence. We have a good time in my class. You should join. Oh, I bet. You might learn a lot. Wow. I, I would learn a lot. I've learned a you, lot. Just I know. In this exchange. Absolutely. Extraordinary. Wow, wow, wow. Boy, do I have some criticism to give. Hopefully it's constructive. And honestly, on on both sides of this, although mainly for this young law professor here, which law professor at Berkeley, we should be scared to hear that. And here's the issue. I think these ideas, while, while very extreme, are held by a fringe group of people in this country. However, the issue is that that fringe group of people has managed to infiltrate Every single major job and every single major sphere of influence in this country. We're talking higher education, like this law professor. We're talking mainstream or legacy media at this point. We're talking Hollywood. We're talking public schooling and curriculum. This is a problem. When we say that men can get pregnant, that we don't know what women are, and when biological women like myself are referred to as cis, which we will get to, that should, you know perk up some some ears there that should have the hairs on the back of your neck standing up that this woman is in a position to teach the future lawyers and legislators of this country and we've already seen this sort of ideology get injected into law there's been a number of very landmark family court cases where kids have expressed gender dysphoria to their parents and mommy says yes let's go ahead with the medical transition and dad says no and dad loses custody And this has happened numerous times. A good story to look into if you want to read more about this is a story of a man by the name of Ted Hidako. This happened to him, and he's still in the throes of that battle of trying to get custody over his child, even though the child has already undergone and started medical transition. This is why this is a problem. We can say that people can hold their own beliefs, uh, you know, in their own lane, and that is totally fine. But when those beliefs start to seep into legislation, seep into culture, seep into young people's lives, we have an issue. And much like Katanji Brown Jackson, this woman seems to be confused about what a woman is, an adult human female, typically with the uterus and ovaries and, and female chromosomes. She seems to be confused about that. And when pressed on it, she tells Josh Hawley, that he is committing an act of violence. Let's walk through that for a second. So words are violence in this country now. Truth is violence in this country now. And if you decide to abstain from both of those things and maybe not speak at all, your silence is violence as well. That's what the progressive left tells you. No matter what you do, you are committing an act of violence. It is no longer, I have my ideas, you have yours, and I will leave you alone. It is, I have my ideas, you must succumb to them, you must conform to them, and if you don't, you will be labeled a violent extremist. That was one of the more calmer exchanges that we see when talking about gender theory, even though it did get off the rails at the end and was quite unprofessional. But that is now violence. 
she says. And she talks about the suicidal ideation rate of transgender individuals, which we talked about earlier in this program, if you all were listening. The suicidal ideation rate, for those of you who don't know, is the highest among transgender individuals, higher than any other demographic in this country. Now, she attributes that to a lack of acceptance. She attributes that to a lack of affirmation. She attributes that to putting barriers in the place of minors and adults getting these medical procedures and the line of questioning that Josh Hawley just had for her. What she fails to do is to look into the studies of transgender individuals in accepting communities, people who accept them, accepting families, peers, friends, classmates, communities, who still decide to undergo medical transition. And guess what? The outcomes do not change. The suicidal ideation rate does not change. The other mental health afflictions do not change. And when confronted with that evidence, I'm sure she's going to plug her ears and say la 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 because she's quite childish for a law professor at an institution like Berkeley. But that speaks to the, the grade of our institutions currently as a country. But when confronted that with that, you've seen the man behind the curtain. You can no longer unsee it. There are people who, when we talk about gender, can feign ignorance and say, well, I didn't know after affirming them they still had the same suicidal ideation rate. I didn't know that they were still upset and uncomfortable with themselves. I didn't know that the mutilation didn't work to, to cure the mind or to solve the inner turmoil that these people are experiencing. And if you don't know that, that's fine. But now that you do, you got to take a stance here. And if you take the stance of continuing with blind affirmation in these horrendous medical procedures, then you've done something wrong and you need to be held accountable. Kudos to Josh Hawley for trying to hold her accountable for this, but then being called a violent extremist. Now, we need to move towards a culture that can begin to identify what a woman is, and we need to be strong about identifying to that. I see some radical feminists hopping into this debate and going, I don't like this. Macy Gray... Uh, a, a very famous uh, music musician came out and said, you know, just because you change your parts doesn't mean you get to call yourself a woman. I'm a woman. I've had womanhood my entire life. She referred to growing up as a young girl as an epic story and said that people can't just take that on. But when the woke mob came for Macy Gray, she got on television and said, well, I've learned a lot and, and sort of despondently didn't, didn't restate her claim and stand strong in it. We have to stand strong in it because language is a powerful tool. And we've seen communication completely change within a number of years. Young people are now stating their pronouns in their, in their bios. And when they introduce themselves, they've stopped saying things like mother and father. They now say birthing person or a person capable of giving birth. Language is so powerful and we cannot allow it to change. That's why every day at PragerU we are fighting to define the terms. We are fighting for what has always been normal language in this country. And we are fighting against the bad outcomes that come with this sort of ideology and dogma. And if you'd like to support us, you can go to PragerU.com. You can check out my podcast, Unapologetic Live. And financially, if you'd like to keep us making videos, go to PragerU.com slash donate to give us your support. We'll be back in the next segment. The Dennis Prager Show. Hello, everybody. We are going to be taking calls here shortly. I wanted to let you know the number is 1-8-Prager-776. That's 1-8-Prager-776 if you'd like to call in and have a conversation. I wanted to clear up a story that we've been hearing about for quite some time now, or at least over the past few days, that is running rampant with all different types of narratives on social media before we get into these calls. Here's the headline out of uh, NBC News. Republicans are shocked a 10-year-old can get pregnant after the Ohio rape victim... 
abortion story proves true. So I just want to clear things up, fact check everything here. A story was circulating about a 10-year-old in Ohio being raped and then having to travel over to Indiana to get an abortion. Now, quite a few Republicans hopped on the internet and said this is false. We cannot find a story and we cannot find anybody to corroborate this. Jim Jordan being one who's taking most of the heat for his comments right now. But it turns out the story is true. There was a 10-year-old rape victim in the state of Ohio who unfortunately went through this situation of having to travel and receive an abortion in Indiana. Now, everybody can have a differing opinion on abortion. We've seen Roe v. Wade overturned, and now a lot of families and and individuals are starting to have these discussions. I err on the pro-life side, although I do think there are discussions that need to be had when it comes to instances of rape incest and medical necessity that's simply my opinion and i truly will take into account anybody who has a different opinion than that so republicans are getting a lot of heat for coming out and saying this was a lie before they found the actual facts regarding this story and now that the facts have been heard something that the left is leaving out is that the man who committed this heinous act is an illegal immigrant. So Republicans are being called liars for saying the story isn't true. Leftists and progressives are being called liars for failing to uh, admit that this man is an illegal immigrant. If you look at many of the articles surrounding the story on the left, they refer to him as an Ohio man. That's what they call him, an Ohio man. They make no mention of his of his citizenship status, which is non-existent. Uh, and Republicans jumped on this story, calling it fake without taking a moment to look into it. We even had people on Fox News saying there is no record of this story happening. So we have a failure here on both sides. And I want to use this story not to chastise anybody or to say that somebody's wrong, although it seems like both parties have been wrong in this case, but to say, let's hold off on speaking about things, especially with super audacious and confident responses without knowing the entirety of the situation. Both sides have failed in this case. The left is running cover on the whole illegal immigration front of this that we're now experiencing at our border at the highest rate we've ever seen. And Republicans called this a lie before knowing that it was actually true. So we have to do better. We have to want to have conversations and not just simply hop on a story and demonize the other side or else we will get nowhere. These very tough issues like abortion are going to require compromise. And I know that's a word that maybe some people don't want to hear, but it's going to require compromise. And if we are so focused on demonization and and spouting a narrative rather than being focused on truth, we are in for trouble. We will be a society divided if we are not all ready. Let's go ahead and take a call. I want to talk to Frank in Chicago, Illinois. Hello, Frank. Hi. Uh, First time I heard you. It's just fantastic. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate that. I just wanted to comment earlier, you were talking about Brittany uh, asking for help from the president. Right. And I suggest that he should, she should be, uh, or maybe it is he, but she should be writing to LeBron. Hmm. (laughs) Telling LeBron maybe use some of your billions of dollars to help her out. Is that what you're saying? Well, well, no, not, no. With his connections to China. Ah. He should be able to put some pressure on China now that Russia and China are so close and, um, and, and uh, you know, be done with it. Uh, 
you know, actually, they can both move to China. I think we'd all be happy about it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Frank, thank you so much for calling. Yeah, so it is interesting to see, like I said, Brittany Griner, who is a WNBA player that has now been detained in the country of Russia for having illegal marijuana in her suitcase, apparently at the airport. She is now calling on the current administration, the Biden administration, to help her get out of the situation that she's in. And for those of you who are familiar with her, she's been known to protest the United States, to kneel during the national anthem, and to say that she has major qualms with this country. Now she's relying on them and saying that she has a different view of what freedom is. Yeah, I mean, if you're not going to change your tune about American freedom, then maybe you should try to rely on the CCP or the Russian government or LeBron James and see how that works out for you. I promise you it will not work out well. We talk about racism. We talk about patriarchy. Nowhere are these heinous ideas more pervasive than the Chinese Communist Party and in Russia. So a lot of people, I think, just lack context when it comes to the way that these countries function, the way that America is truly unique, as I said before, and they're not ready to have that conversation yet. Let's go over to another call. Bill in Los Angeles, California. Hi, Amala. Hi, Bill. How you doing? Okay. Uh, You may be too young to remember, but there, there used to be a commercial in the 60s and some nerdy guy would come on and say, uh, I'd like to talk about my, my diarrhea. And everybody would laugh because it was so annoying. And I'm thinking, <laughs> it used to be a time when people would not talk about other people's genitals or their own in public. And right. it's just maddening to hear people go on about genitalia. It's like none of my business. I don't want to know about your genital adventures. Right. I completely agree. And thank you so much for your call, Bill. I'm right there with you. So many of the conversations that we're having in this country right now are things that are non-starters. We shouldn't even be talking about them. I don't care about your race. I don't care about your gender. I don't care what's under your pants. (laughs) Believe it or not, I could not care less about what you have there. But now these are at the forefront of our conversations. And it's because we've taken these superficial identity markers, like your gender and your private part and your your race and we've made them priorities we've said that these things are pivotal to who you are as a person and of course they aren't you guys know probably if you listen to me that i am a biracial american female does that tell you anything about my values does it tell you anything about my opinions does it tell you anything about who i could be as a person i could be a great person or i could be a horrible one that you'd never want to be friends with but you wouldn't know that by hearing my race my gender and what private parts i have and it's just unbelievable to me that we've made this mistake thinking that these are are important identity markers. And now on the left, we have this idea of intersectionality, which says not only are you defined by your race and gender and these superficial things, but they are interconnected to you. And when you say your race, your gender, and how you identify your pronouns, all that fun stuff, they mean something about how oppressed you are. They mean something about how privileged you are. To me, it means nothing. And I am forever willing to have that conversation with anybody who disagrees with me. And I think that once we do, we will get to where I'm at, that we should be colorblind, race blind, gender blind, whatever you want to call that. And we talk about these values and ideas every day at PragerU. You can check out some of our five minute videos. We've got a book club. We've got programs for kids. If you're worried about your kids being indoctrinated in the current state of things in this nation, and you can check out all of that by going to PragerU.com. Plus, I have a podcast called Unapologetic Live. Search it up on Google, YouTube, Facebook, Rumble, Getter, anywhere you get your podcasts and you will find me. I hope to find your support after I've talked to you today. Thank you so much. We'll be back. The Dennis Prager Show. Sing it out, shout it out. And 
we're back to close out our show for today. I've been your guest host, Amala Epinobi, and I just want to say it has been a distinct pleasure to be able to do this today and talk to you and talk about stories that I feel like are important to the conversations we're having in America right now. And I want to thank Dennis for having me on as a guest. And with that, let's bring a little bit of Dennis's spirit into the room right now and into your cars if that's what you're listening. Dennis, in 2019, went on The Bill Maher Show, and he sat on a panel, and he expressed to Bill Maher that the progressive left was getting very radical and extreme. And when asked for an example, Dennis said that the left is saying that men can menstruate. And he said this very clear and he said it with confidence and was met with laughter, treated like a laughing stock. Can you imagine Dennis Prager being treated that way? But it happens and it happened in 2019. Now we flash forward to today and what is the left saying? That men can be women, women can be men, men can be pregnant. There's no such thing as a woman or a man anymore. It's cis and it's hetero and this and that. And Dennis was absolutely right. Now, is Dennis going to get a pat on the back for being right in 2019? Are all those people who laughed at him going to come forth and say, Dennis, I'm so sorry that I did that to you? Is Bill Maher going to invite him back on the show and apologize for the way he laughed at him in 2019? I missed this whole story. And there it is. See how he was treated. But Dennis stood in truth, and he was right. And although he's not going to reap the benefits of being true in 2019, he was right, and he knows that in that moment he stood with truth and was strong in his conviction. And that's what we need more so than ever in this country right now. If you believe something that's not a commonly held belief or you feel like you're going to be met with with hate for, don't mind it. We have to get over that fear. It's okay to be fearful, but we still must do the right thing. We still must stand by our values. And when you do so, people will come out to support you. Dennis didn't get support from that panel or from the audience that was watching the Bill Maher show that day, but he knew he was right. And that's all that you need. The truth will will shine in whatever darkness you put it in. And, And he stood that stood up and did that and said that and now look where we're at so as much as we're afraid of cancel culture of being ostracized from our communities of having the other moms hate us at the pta meeting or at the school board we have to stand in our values or else they will be gone the biggest problem with the generation that i'm a part of i'm 22 i'm in gen z is that we are so disconnected from american history our true ideals traditional values that we'll never know our way if somebody doesn't teach them to us if somebody doesn't say it so we have to be the ones to stand up and say something even though we will be met with opposition adversity is strengthening and people who want to be coddled and put in a safe space and free from offense guess what they're not going to have a great life adversity and struggle is part of, of part of livelihood you cannot know happiness if you do not know suffering so stand up stand for your values and that is the message that prager you and i support every single day if you can't be a fighter you can support the fighters by going to prageru.com slash donate you can check out my podcast called all unapologetic live on any podcast platform and thank you so much for having me today i hope you enjoyed your time The Dennis Prager Show, live from the Relief Factor Pain-Free Studio. Dennis Prager here. Thanks for listening to the Daily Dennis Prager Podcast. To hear the entire three hours of my radio show, commercial-free, every single day, become a member of PragerTopia. You'll also get access to 15 years' worth of archives, as well as the daily show prep. Subscribe at PragerTopia.com. 
Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.